Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Pastor Larry answers Bible questions about Solomon's wives and eternal security. But first, staff evangelist James Collins looks at the pleading prayer of Habakkuk and the myths of modern-day revival. For the past few months, I've been writing a new book about the messages and ministries of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Since there are 12 minor prophets, I have titled the book, The Twelve. As we work toward the book release this October, I have been sharing some of those messages from the minor prophets here on the Watchman on the Wall. Today I want to share a word with you from the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk lived at the same time as the prophet Jeremiah, and he wrote his book when Jehoiakim was king in Judah. The book of Habakkuk consists of an ongoing conversation between Habakkuk and God. In Habakkuk chapter 3, the prophet pleads for God to send revival. The Bible says in Habakkuk 3 in verse 1, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. Now before we talk about Habakkuk's prayer, I want to share a story. Several years ago, an elderly couple, Elmer and Mamie, were driving across the country to visit relatives. Mamie was driving, and she got pulled over by the highway patrol. The officer said, Ma'am, did you know you were speeding? Now, Mamie was a little hard of hearing, so she turned to Elmer and said, What did he say? Elmer yelled at her, He says you were speeding. The patrolman said, Ma'am, may I see your license? Mamie turned to Elmer again and said, What did he say? Elmer yelled, He wants to see your license. Mamie gave the officer her driver's license. The patrolman then said, I see that you're from Oklahoma. I spent some time in Oklahoma years ago and went on a blind date with the ugliest, meanest woman I had ever seen. Mamie turned to Elmer and asked, what did he say? Elmer yelled, he thinks he knows you. Now the point of the story is, Mamie didn't quite understand what the policeman was saying. And neither did Elmer. Sometimes we don't understand what's being said. Today, before we talk about revival, we need to understand the biblical meaning of the word. It's amazing how we misunderstand the word revival. It's a familiar word, it's a church word, but you would be amazed to know that the word revival is not found anywhere in your Bible. But the word revive is. The word revive is found six times in the Word of God. One of those places is here in the book of Habakkuk. The word revive means to quicken. It means to make alive. And I don't know about you, but I've been in some churches that are deader than a hammer. So I believe the church in America today needs revival. But we will not have revival until we get rid of the myths of modern-day revival. The first myth that we need to get rid of is the contemporary myth. The contemporary myth is the myth that says revivals are all old-fashioned and they're out of date. They're a thing of the past. The contemporary myth says that we can't have revival today. In Psalm 85.6, the psalmist writes, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? 
The word again is a perpetual word. It applies right now. The word again means to restore or to recover. So the Bible teaches that revival is not out of date. God can send revival to us right here, right now. You know, I have a cell phone, and it has every kind of app that you can imagine. It has a video player, a recorder, a camera. has a book reader. It'll play songs. It'll play games. It'll check your email. That cell phone will do almost anything. But I can't work any of it. A while back, I went to Kansas on a business trip, and while I was there, it snowed. I called my wife and told her the snow was very beautiful, and she said, Honey, why don't you take a picture of it? By the time I figured out how to work the camera on the phone, the snow melted. So I know that I'm old-fashioned. I know that I'm a little out of date, but I still believe in revival. When was the last time you felt the real manifest presence of God? I don't know about you, but I love it when God just doesn't take note, but when God takes over. And we need that kind of revival in America today. So the first myth we need to defeat is the contemporary myth, and the second myth that we need to defeat is the commitment myth. The commitment myth says I'm too busy to commit to spending time with God on a regular basis. The prophet Habakkuk preached to Judah in a time of desolation and destruction. Look at his prayer in Habakkuk 3.2. Look what he prays there in verse 2. He says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. Habakkuk asked for the Lord to work in the midst of the years. He says, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years literally means our day-to-day activities. So Habakkuk prayed, God, interrupt our day-to-day life. In other words, God send a revival and interrupt what we're doing. I remember a couple of years ago, I was coming home and I had a layover in the Dallas airport. I was traveling and I was in the passenger terminal and a man sat down next to me who had a portable oxygen tank. Now, I noticed before this man sat down, he had a difficult time getting around. He had a cane in one hand, and he had that oxygen tank on wheels in the other. He wore this oxygen mask, and he seemed to struggle. Now, I also noticed that this man had on Dallas Cowboy clothing. He wore a Dallas Cowboy shirt. He wore a Dallas Cowboy jacket. He even had Dallas Cowboy stars on his shoes. There was a big Dallas Cowboy sticker on his oxygen tank. And he said hello, and we started to visit. He said that he was going home from a Dallas Cowboys preseason team workout event of some kind or another. He told me all about the Dallas Cowboys. He said that he had been a Dallas Cowboys season ticket holder for many, many years. He laughed, and he said, now I buy two season tickets, one for me and one for my canister. He was talking about his oxygen tank. He said, I never miss a game. I fly down and spend two nights at the hotel. I come in a day early. I stay a day late. He said, I'm here in the rain. I'm here in sunshine. I'm here when it's hot. I'm here when it's cold. I never, ever miss a game. He said, I will do anything for my Dallas Cowboys. And as I sat there visiting with that man, I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had just a small percentage of believers that had that attitude about Jesus? 
Wouldn't it be great if we had an attitude that said, nothing is going to stop me from keeping my commitment to the Lord? The prophet Habakkuk ministered to people who were busy, busy just like us today. So he asked God to interrupt their activities in the midst of the years. We have that problem today, don't we? We're so busy, we don't have time for God. Well, before I tell you how to overcome the contemporary myth and the commitment myth, I want to talk about the complacent myth. The complacent myth says, I'm a good person. I really don't need revival. Well, let's look again at verse 1 of Habakkuk 3. The Bible says, a prayer of Habakkuk upon Shiganoth. The Hebrew word for prayer means to beg and plead. It comes from a word that means to sweat and perspire, to agonize in the presence of God. And the word there, Shiganoth, means with strong emotion. Habakkuk begged and pleaded and agonized with strong emotion for God to send revival. Do you know why Habakkuk prayed that way? It was because his nation was in trouble. Habakkuk prayed because God's judgment was going to fall on his nation. When was the last time you prayed like Habakkuk? Are you complacent? Have you grown spiritually cold? Maybe you've moved away from where you used to be. Perhaps you don't even realize that you need the touch of God today. When was the last time you had that sweet hour of prayer? When was the last time you got in the Bible and it was like a fresh love letter? It was like God speaking directly to you. When was the last time you listened to a gospel song or a hymn and you just burst out in thanksgiving to God? When was the last time you had the strange awareness of the presence of God? When was the last time that you wanted to just stop and soak up all of God's glory and stay there in His presence all day long? When was the last time that happened? Do you need revival? The Bible tells us the kind of people who need revival. First, disobedient people. Habakkuk says in chapter 3, verse 2, In the midst of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. You see, Habakkuk knows that God is about to pour out his wrath and judgment. Now, I thought about talking with you for a moment about how the judgment of God is certain to fall upon the United States of America. But it hit me as I was watching the news this past week that the judgment of God may already be on America. Perhaps we're getting exactly what we deserve. Think about where we are as a nation. Society has kicked God out of everything. Sinners have come racing out of the closet while the church is getting quieter and quieter going into the closet. Men can marry men, and women can marry women. This year we will build more jails than we ever have in American history, while 3,000 churches close their doors in America each year. Divorce has destroyed the family. We have murdered an entire generation, and we call it a choice. And I can't believe this whole transgender bathroom mess that the government is actually pushing. Maybe the judgment of God is already on America. Do you think America needs revival? Well, not only do disobedient people need revival, but second, defiled people also need revival. If you remember, there's a sad story in the Bible, the story of David and Bathsheba. Remember, David committed adultery and then he committed murder. Later, David repented, and when he did, he poured his heart out to God in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51 and verse 10, he says a word that is very close to the word revive. It's from the same Hebrew family. 
David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The word renew is very close to the Hebrew word revive. It comes from a word that means to repair. David's life was broken from sin, so David said, God, repair me. If there's one thing modern American Christians need, it's a revival of holiness. It's a revival of purity. It's a revival that reminds us that we're not better than the world, but we're separated from the world, and our standards are not the standards of this ungodly world. Now, I know that I'm speaking today to good people. I know that you'd never steal. I know that you would never be called a thief. But maybe you don't give to the work of the Lord. The Bible says that's stealing from God. That's a sin. You would never tell an ugly lie. You only tell those little bitty white lies. That's a sin. I know that you'd never commit adultery, but you allow a lot of things on your computer screen and on your TV that are not very Christ-like. That's a sin. I know for a fact that you would never murder. You'd never hurt a soul. But Jesus said if you hate someone, that's the same thing as murder. That's a sin. Maybe it's time for each and every individual believer to be like David and pray, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So disobedient and defiled people need revival, and thirdly, so do discouraged people. There's a familiar passage over in the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 40, 31 that speaks about this. The Bible says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. There's that word renew again. Here, renew means to be rebuilt. It literally means to gain strength. Let me be honest with you. Sometimes I get discouraged. Do you ever get discouraged? Could it be that I'm speaking to a discouraged Christian today? You may be someone who does all you can for God, but you need a fresh touch from God. But God won't do it until you come to a place where you say, God, I'm complacent. Wake me up and revive me. Well, today we have a contemporary myth, a commitment myth, and a complacent myth of modern-day revival. And let me wrap this up by telling you about the costly myth of modern-day revival. The costly myth says that revivals are over and that you'll never, ever have another one. One of today's top theologians recently said that we in America have had our last genuine move of God. He said that we'll have drops of mercy here and there, but we're in the last days. We're in the falling away age. Another pastor and best-selling author recently said God didn't say in the last days there'd be revival. He said in the last days people will not put up with sound doctrine. Is it too late for America? Is it too late for revival? I don't know, but I do know that the Bible says that it's God's will for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I also know that there have been recent revivals in America. One of those started as recently as the 1960s. Now, the decade of the 1960s was a time of upheaval and stress in this country. We were in a war in Vietnam that we didn't want to be in. The economy was in despair. Murders were on the rise. Drug use was sweeping the nation. Come to think of it, that sounds an awful lot like today, doesn't it? Well, right at the end of the 1960s, there came a surprise. It was called the Jesus Movement. The Jesus Movement started out in California when some Baptist missionaries shared the gospel with two hippies who got saved in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco. 
those two hippies opened a coffee shop and they started preaching and sharing the gospel out of that little coffee shop and the Jesus movement swept the nation. Time Magazine did a cover story and called the young people in the Jesus movement Jesus Freaks. Their symbol was a hand with one finger pointing up, one way to God, Jesus. And the Jesus movement swept this country. Billy Graham called the Jesus movement a genuine movement of the Holy Ghost. And back when all of that was going on, one Sunday night in 1970, there was a Baptist church in Houston, Texas, that was having a routine service. It was the same time. It was the same place. It was the same format. It was the same preacher. It was the same people. But when the preacher gave the invitation that night, a young lady came forward. She walked down the aisle and she said, Preacher, I want to get right with God. I want to confess my sins to the Lord, and I want to repent right here in front of the church. And when that young woman stood up and repented, the Holy Spirit of God fell on that church in revival. People poured out of the pews, and they started to seek God in repentance. It was amazing. People left the church, and they went home, and they got friends and family and brought them back. And the church soon became so packed with people who were seeking God in prayer. The church was so full that people stood in the door looking in because there was no room to get inside. The preacher gave another invitation, and more people got saved, and more people were revived. After a few hours or so of prayer, they sent someone to the education building next door to relieve the couple that had been over there watching and taking care of the children. The couple came over to the church, and they said, you know, we have a grown son, and he left home, and he's away from God, and we don't even know where he is. So we just want to pray, and we want everybody to pray that, that God will get a hold of him. Now, at that exact moment, their son was in Galveston at a party. When those believers got on their knees in that church and they began to pray for their son, the Holy Spirit of God fell on him, and God said to his heart, go home. So he left the party. He got in his car, and he drove back to Houston as fast as he could. First, he went to his parents' house. But to his surprise, there was no one home. So he decided to go get a hamburger, and as he drove to the Dairy Queen, he passed the church. He noticed the lights were on at the church. He saw the cars in the parking lot, and he noticed his parents' car there. And he saw all the people standing at the doorway looking inside. He walked to the church door, and he asked a man, Where are my parents? And the man pointed down to the altar. The young man walked down the aisle, and he tapped his parents on the shoulder. They were amazed to see their son. They were praying for him, and then suddenly he was there. That young man looked at his parents and said, Mom, Dad, I felt God speaking to me. I'm coming back home, and I'm coming back to God. You may be saying that was a long time ago. Listen, that was just 1970. People still had to go to work early. People still had to go to school the next day. And that church service didn't let out until 11 o'clock that night. People kept getting saved and people kept getting revived. And nobody wanted to go home because those times are rare. Those times are precious. And I don't know about you, but I want my kids to grow up with experiences like that. I want the young people in this country to experience a genuine move of God. I want all of us to see the glory of the Lord fall again on the United States. I know that there are people who disagree with me. Some say that America can't have revival. Maybe not. 
but the state that you live in can have revival. Some say your state can't have revival. Well, the town you live in can have revival. Some say your town can't have revival. Well, then your family can have revival. Some say that nobody in your family cares that then you can have revival. Draw a circle and get inside that circle and say, God, do a fresh work in my life beginning right here and right now. Who knows? You may be the spark that starts the fires of revival. To get your copy of today's message on myths of modern-day revival, call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Pastor Larry is coming now to answer your Bible questions. Email your Bible questions to askpastorlarry at swrc.com. Today's questions deal with eternal security and why Solomon had so many wives. A listener writes, I believe in eternal security, but I have trouble understanding Galatians 5.4, where Paul says, ye are fallen from grace. Does this verse argue against eternal security? Well, it doesn't. The verse does not say, ye are fallen from salvation, or ye are fallen from Christ. Later on in the letter, Paul calls his readers brethren, Galatians 6.1, and he uses the word in the normal sense meaning that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. The Galatians were confused about sanctification. False teachers led them astray regarding how we are to live the Christian life. Is it a life to be lived under religious practices and the legalistic teachings of the Judaizers? The apostle brings the issue into focus when he asks, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? That's in Galatians 3.3. That was their problem. They were relying on the flesh and on works. Hence, Paul says, ye are fallen from grace, meaning that they had fallen from grace as the way of their sanctification and had gone back to keeping the law. Galatians 3, 5 through 7. Is it possible to lose one's salvation? It certainly is. If we are honest, we've probably lost it more times than we can remember. Eternal security, however, does not depend on our holding on but upon God who never lets go. People often have trouble accepting the doctrine of the security of the believer because they do not know what it means. It is often misrepresented and caricatured. For one thing, eternal security does not mean that it does not matter if a Christian sins. Sin is a serious matter even for a Christian. When a child disobeys an earthly father, he is disciplined. However, the child's disobedience is not grounds for the father to disown the child and to run him out of the house. God chastens his children and has various ways of giving us a good spanking. Hebrews chapter 12, 6 and 8. But he doesn't disown us. Luke 15, 11 through 32. In John 10, 27 through 29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Secondly, eternal security does not mean that all those who have made a profession of faith and are church members will go to heaven. The Bible tells the sad story of Simon who was baptized and who believed. But Peter said to him, For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness 
and in the bond of iniquity. Acts 8, 13, 19 through 23. Third, eternal security does not mean that Christians do not need confession, repentance, renewal, and revival. The example of the church at Ephesus makes that very clear. Revelation 2, 1, 4, and 5. Fourth, eternal security does not mean that Christians cannot disqualify themselves for positions of leadership and service. Christians are secure in their salvation, but pastors, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, and choir members are not necessarily secure in their positions of ministry. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Having therefore these promises we read in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It does not say, since we are not sure if we have these promises, let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. Being a recipient of God's promises does not make one spiritually careless. 1 Kings 11 indicates that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Why did Solomon have so many women in his life? Solomon had a very aggressive foreign policy. His goal was to build a great empire, and that is exactly what he did. In the ancient Middle East, it was customary to ratify a treaty by a lesser king, giving a greater king his daughter in marriage. Solomon had a reputation for being a great king and leader. It was in this way that he kept on picking up more and more wives. These wives were considered tokens of friendship and proof of a bond between the two kings. Solomon disobeyed the command of God. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, the Lord said that the king should not multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. That passage also warns the king of multiplying to himself horses. Solomon violated all of these commands of God. Solomon failed to realize that God's commands are for our good, not for our hurt. Solomon disobeyed God's commands and was deeply hurt. In the end, his mighty empire was divided. Although Solomon acted very unwisely, from a human point of view, he was very wise. His goal was to build a great empire, and he was using his ingenuity to achieve that goal. But as the Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Solomon was leaning on his own understanding and not trusting in the Lord. All of these foreign women turned Solomon's heart away from the Lord. Though he was a very wise man, he failed to apply the wisdom that was his to his own life. As a result of his disobedience, God raised up adversaries who rebelled against his leadership and rebelled against his authority. God knows what is best for us. It is always dangerous to disobey God. Is the next great awakening around the corner? Find out in the book, Final Fire, by Tom Horn, Larry Spargimino, and Donna Howe. As today's world becomes more desperate, the world is inadvertently moving toward another great awakening. Get your copy of Final Fire for a gift of $20 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. We also have the booklet, Cost of Revival, by Rob Linstead. This booklet shows that if God would send revival when Elijah stood completely alone, he can use you. Cost of Revival by Rob Linstead is available today for a gift of $5 or more. 
Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Order Final Fire and Cost of Revival today. Tomorrow, Pastor Larry will have an important update on our mission efforts in Pakistan. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Thank you.